Hi, I'm Carmen LaBerge. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBerge. Today is the day you have made. I will rejoice and be glad in it. Today is the day you have made. I will rejoice and be glad in it. And I won't worry about tomorrow. I'm trusting in what you say. Today is the day. Today is the day. Good morning. Today is the day. This is the day the Lord has made. Be mindful of that all day long. Uh, Jane, who is listening, says, hey, when you said peacemakers, a light bulb went up off that really struck a chord and agents of grace. Um, and so uh, just be be mindful that you've got brothers and sisters out there who are listening, who are with you and they are committed alongside you to be in the world today as genuine makers of peace. Right. All right. So let me just encourage you in that this morning and thank every single one of you for being with us and taking us along with you wherever God is leading you to go this day. With me again this morning, Nicole Phillips. You can find her at NicoleJPhillips.com. What what kindness story do you have for us today, Nicole? Hi, Carmen. It's all about the peacemakers for sure. Did you know that the I believe the pumpkin latte is out? Do you know about that? Have you tried it? Pumpkin spice? Pumpkin spice latte, yeah. So I've got friends who are like, there's a like there there's like like a candy corn crowd out there. Have you met them? Have you met the candy corn crowd? <laughs> I am not. Like the they candy started. Corn crowd. So they see. I'm not in that crowd, but they started no. posting their pictures yesterday. Like apparently, in addition to it being like pumpkin spice season, the candy corn advocacy crowd is also really out there strong right now. <laughs> I, I don't. I see nothing. I'm just gonna go right on a limb and say I love corn. I see nothing even interesting about candy corn. Nope, I don't either. I'm a chocolate. That's not my jam. That's not my jam. Yeah, right. yeah. All right, what, so what do you got? You, you got? Imagine that you go to the drive-thru and, and you want your pumpkin spice latte and you take your first exciting sip of it and it actually is like a mint mocha. And, you know, you spit it all <laughs> over the car and you look at the woman and you say, this isn't what I ordered. So that's one way to do it. Um, however, Uh, If you're talking about being peacemakers, there's another way to go about it. And there was a woman in North Dakota several years ago who who ordered a hamburger. Pickles, no ketchup, no mustard, the way she always orders it. Well, the server brought back a burger that was topped with everything on it. And the woman pointed it out to the server and the server walked off, got her a new burger, put it on her on her table. And and when the when uh, the woman said to the server, you know, when she tried to give the wrong one back, the server just kind of really curtly said, just keep it. And she stalked off. And then this, this person who was eating there noticed, this woman noticed that this server was really, really angry. And she's rubbing down tables and stomping around. And, and she thought, I just upset her over a hamburger. Like, what did I just do? I'm So she went up and she said to her, I'm really sorry for my miscommunication. I'm sorry that I was a little blunt when I asked for a a new burger. And the server smiled and said, I'm getting married today at four o'clock at the courthouse. And so the, the woman who was eating there thought, you know, imagine that poor girl getting off of work, heading downtown to get married. You know, of course she's distracted. She gave her a hug. She wished her well. And peace was made in that place when it could have just been left for, you know, 
a bad day or chalked up to a bad day that that peacemaker went out of her way and said, Hey, let's work together here. I love that. That's really good. So, um, we're going to have to leave it right there, but uh, sometime I have a story to tell you about, uh, the time I got on an international flight and my seat was soaking wet because the air conditioner condenser was right above my seat oh, and yeah. had had deposited all of its water into my seat. So it was really freezing cold and soaking wet. And so I mean, it's like getting the drink that you didn't order, right? Yeah. And, um, <laughs> and the stewardess um, said um, uh, that it was God's will that I have that seat. Oh! So she made me sit in it. She made me sit in it the whole way to England, which is why I just don't, I don't, I think all the creative people left there. It's not, there's, there's a reason we're not there. Yeah. Okay. So uh, kindness, kindness can reign in all kinds of environments. Thank you, Nicole, for sharing with us today. You guys can find her at NicoleJPhillips.com. We'll be right back. After my eyes have seen the Dr. Stevens is back with us today from the Christian Medical and Dental Association. Dr. Stevens, welcome back. It's good to hear your voice, Carmen. Did you have a great weekend? I did have a great weekend. Thank you. It was really toasty hot. I, I did not wear a sufficient amount of sunscreen, but uh, I know. Well, you know. You won't we pay all the ha- price now. It'll be later when you get that cancer. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> We all have those shortcomings. Okay, so there's a there. Somebody's got an ad out right now where they like show um, on people's faces the effects of, um, you know, of long-term sun exposure. Oh, yeah. I will tell yeah. you, those pictures are pretty convicting. Yep. Yeah. I worked in Africa at a high altitude, right near the equator, for what eleven years, and we didn't have sunscreen back in the '80s. So I keep track of my face and arms pretty carefully because I got yeah. a lot of sun exposure. Patients are outside every day, so. It's amazing, saw right? saw them where they sat in the grass. Mm. Okay, so that's not... We, we'll, let's talk about that as next summer approaches, maybe. But today, we are going <laughs> to talk about um, opioids. We, we, yeah. we know we've got a crisis in America. Um, we hear these incredible um, numbers, like uh, the U.S. Customs seizing enough fentanyl in one shipment um, to kill, like, 13 million Americans. That's really hard for us to even, like, imagine the scope of what could be happening um, when fentanyl enters into the opioid conversation. Lots of folks over the holiday weekend were um, were reading the news out of California uh, about the findings related to the L.A. County coroner releasing uh, information about the Angels pitcher Tyler Skaggs dying as a result of ingesting a deadly combination of alcohol, fentanyl, and opioids. Um, well, it, oxycodone. So... When we talk about these things, um, Dr. Stevens, we are talking about individuals. We're talking about families. We're talking about the impact that opioids are having. Um, and we're also talking about massive lawsuits. And so take us to this, uh, this decision in Oklahoma against Johnson & Johnson. Now, they are just one uh, pharmaceutical maker of, of an opioid, and this is just one state, and this is just one decision. But take us into this this conversation about uh, opioids and pharmaceutical companies and what might just now be a cascading uh, number of these rulings across the country. Well, this was a pretty significant settlement, or not a settlement, uh, penalty, $575 million, I think, uh, that the state of Kansas is going to get. Um, 
I question whether it's really going to stand that. What's really going on is somebody's got to find somebody to blame, and that's very common in our country. Johnson & Johnson has deep pockets. They're a huge drug company, and um, so they took them to court, and they did it on the basis of a public nuisance law. In other words, the music at your house next door is too loud or the party's too loud, you can bring a complaint with the police saying, well, you're a nuisance, and yeah, well, that's the law they did it. Why? Because the evidence, evidence required to get a conviction on that is not nearly what it is for um, coming and saying that uh, they, they actually caused this uh, under any other law. And so the question is whether it's going to stand up in court. Now, that doesn't, that's kind of a sideline, but it's important because this sets precedence for all these suits, over 200 of them, uh, going on across the country by, at multiple drug companies, blaming them, saying that they marketed this and didn't give proper information about the addiction potential, and this entrapped people and caused the problem. Um, I, this is going to go all the way up to the Supreme Court, and it'll be based on the fact that this law wasn't designed to deal with this, and the evidence burden was so low. That's how they got the conviction. They wouldn't have gotten it in any other way, and it's likely to be overturned. Uh, what's other is happening, though, is a lot of states are doing this. Ohio, for one of them, has a, uh, a suit that they're dealing with with many different drug companies, and they met just a few weeks ago for a large settlement. And when we talk about settlement, we're talking about billions of dollars. Uh, the company that's probably one that has no leg to stand on is called Purdue Pharma, which designed OxyContin and marketed it as not being addictive. And they're going to—they're trying to get a settlement, a huge settlement, uh, to be agreed to for 10 to 12 billion dollars which won't begin to deal with the problem that we have across the country. But they're saying either you do a settlement with us or we're going to go bankrupt and you'll get less. So these things are going to continue to be in the news. Unfortunately, it doesn't prevent the problem. Uh, it doesn't stop the problem. Uh, it may help treat and limit the problem uh, when states have these funds. Uh, but addiction is a terrible thing, and it's difficult to deal with, and it's not just drug companies. It's the doctors who prescribed it uh, in the wrong purposes. It's patients who got it for the right purpose but still continued it and got addicted to it. So it's a very complex problem, but we're going to hear a lot about it in the news. All right, Dr. Stevens uh, and I are going to continue our conversation after a really quick break. We're going we're gonna to talk about... Um, uh, an action by the Trump administration to support people in healthcare who object to abortion, but who um, whose employers are essentially forcing them to participate. So that's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. I'm talking with Dr. David Stevens of the Christian Medical and Dental Association. You can find them at cmda.org. If you are a Christian and you are you work in sort of any realm of um, of medicine today, what I'll just broadly call the healing arts, um, this is an organization that is not only designed to equip you but come alongside you um, when you need it in today's really hostile marketplace. 
Um, and so CMDA has some great stuff posted right now at their website, cmda.org. There's some great conferences happening across the country, um, and there's tons of resources in terms of dealing with the challenges that Christians in medical professions deal with uh, today. And so we're going to talk about one of those. We've got we've got Christians who are nurses who uh, specifically in this case work in Vermont at a hospital, and that hospital, even though they had made their conscience uh, a, objection to abortion known, um, forced them to participate in um, in elective abortions by scheduling them for those procedures, um, but not telling them in advance that that's what they were walking into. And so they couldn't walk out um, at risk of losing their jobs. Tell us what is going on here, because this just seems like a horrific offense against the I mean, it, it just creates a moral wound in the individual that is just really hard to imagine how it could ever be remedied. Yeah, and it's very blatant. It's interesting. Up to 2017, University of Vermont Medical Center didn't do elective abortions. And then the new chair of the board was a senior official at Planned Parenthood, and the policy changed. And what they're claiming is that, uh, you know, they have uh, they strike the appropriate and legal balance between supporting our employees and making sure patients get their care that's that's just uh, smoke that they're blowing. Uh, this nurse was actually told this was a miscarriage. And when she walked in and found out it was abortion, she expressed again her her unwillingness to do that. It was not an emergency. Uh, abortions are not emergencies. There were other staff in the room that could have done this with the doctor. The doctor looked at her and said, don't hate me for this. So it was very obvious they knew what was going on. We've had laws on the books, Carmen, for many years. The Church Amendment going back to 1973, Weldon Amendment, a lot of other things that says you cannot force uh, people of faith to participate in abortion, sterilization, and other procedures that they may have uh, religious objections to, uh, sterilizations for our Catholic colleagues. So it's there, but unfortunately, there's no teeth on the laws. And um, the Trump administration has really moved to put the teeth there, has now put out a regulation. The Office of Civil Rights at Health and Human Services has had over 1,300 complaints under the previous administration. They were averaging three or four a year because nothing was being done. And so they've given notice to University of Vermont and said, listen, you've got a month to explain this. We've investigated it for a year. Uh, you've not cooperated. We had to go out and find our own witnesses and find the testimony that we needed but we're giving you a notice of violation. If you don't respond in 30 days, we're uh, going to report you to um, the uh, HRSA, which is the group that deals with funding from HHS. And you could lose $1.6 million worth of funding that you've been getting uh, for uh, some of the research you're doing. Uh, that's really chicken feed. I mean, $1.6 million to a major hospital is not a lot of money, but that's all they can do right now. The key thing Carmen, is this. There's a new regulation that's being put out that is being contested by 19 states, health, um, Planned Parenthood, ACLU. We have actually intervened in that case alongside HHS to defend this regulation that finally puts real teeth into the law. Uh, is it a big problem? One out of four of our members say that they have lost a job, a promotion, or an educational opportunity because of their beliefs. Two out of five said they've been pressured to compromise. And nine out of ten say they will quit medicine before they violate their conscience. So this is a big battlefront. 
it's going to affect everyone. And if we lose our Christian healthcare professionals, we'll lose 100,000, 150,000 physicians, much less nurses and other healthcare personnel uh, if they're forced out of healthcare. But some people want to do that. So, Dr. Stevens, um, I know that there are some institutions that just require, I mean, essentially when people become an employee, like part of becoming an employee of certain institutions is that, you know, you basically agree in advance to do whatever they schedule you to do. Um, how how does an individual um, who's not yet employed, like, right, how do you, how do you begin to say that's not right and um, and people who object to these kinds of things should still be able to work in those environments? Like, is that even, have we passed that point? Well, the new regulation states that if you have religious concerns about any procedure or medication, uh, you know, abortifacient medicines that are used to cause abortion, you need to inform your employee and that cannot bar you from being employed. Uh, we have one of our nursing members, nurse practitioner, midwife, uh, was being um, applied for a job in Florida. And uh, during that interview, she said, uh, you know, it was a clinic for the poor. I'd be happy to take care of everything except I won't help with abortions. And they said, okay, well, then we're not going to hire you. And um, they act- she actually brought a complaint uh, against that, but there were no teeth in the law. And um, she, she didn't get the job. So right now, if you tell people that, they may say, okay, well, then we won't hire you, which is discrimination. It's no different than saying we're not hiring you because you're Catholic or you're Protestant or you're African-American or anything else. It's discrimination under the First Amendment and under the law. Uh, but unfortunately, it's very common. I mean, I've debated a lawyer from Planned Parenthood on National Public Radio National, and she told me I had no business being in health care. I should have gone into a specialty other than family practice because uh, good health care requires me to do abortion. That's the feeling out there, and the push and the pressure is to, if you cannot get people to agree with you, is to intimidate them and silence them and drive them from the workforce so there's none of these issues that they're dealing with. Um, just encourage folks today um, that they these are things that they can talk about, and these are concerns that they can raise. We don't have to press this down. We don't have to violate our conscience. We don't have to become people who participate in a culture of death. Like, there are options. Um, invite people to get in touch uh, with you guys at CMDA if they need help. Absolutely. And we work with a number of um, uh, legal firms, Christian legal firms, Alliance Defending Freedom, the Beckett Fund, other groups that take these cases at no cost and deal with them. And uh, we feel it's very important to stand up, uh, speak the truth in love, and make sure that people can get the compassion and care. It's never been a time that's been more important to have a healthcare professional taking care of you if you're a Christian that shares your worldview, because abortion is just one issue from physician-assisted suicide to in vitro fertilization and some of the moral issues there. You need someone that can guide you and give you biblically-based advice as you're facing some of these issues in your health care. And, um, and that's never been more important than it is right now. Dr. Stevens, we're grateful for what you're doing. Uh, folks can check it all out at cmda.org. We'll be right back. All right.
right. So if you have been uh, following the news at all over the last several days, you know that uh, Britain's new prime minister, Boris Johnson, has pressed ahead uh, toward a no-deal Brexit. And um, it's creating, gosh, kind of chaos. I don't know how else to say it. It's kind of creating chaos. And so we're going to talk with Dr. David Aikman about what is going on in Great Britain Uh, We're going to talk about the Queen's speech. We're going to talk about what it means to, I'm going to use the right right word. It's not prologue parliament. I'll look it up. We've got a fancy word, um, prorogue parliament. Uh, We're going to prorogue parliament. We're going to have a Queen's speech, a no-deal Brexit. There's chaos. It's just nuttiness. Okay, we're going to deal with that. We're also going to talk about Hong Kong because um, over the weekend there are some important developments there for us to discuss, and we need to be praying in earnest for Christians literally on the streets. We'll be right back. So we are one week away, one week away, like literally a week from today. We are going to be engaged in what we call fall share. Just a couple of days, uh, three, three days, four days, Tuesday to Friday next week, four days, uh, during which we share with listeners the opportunity to um, engage with us financially, to partner with us in this ministry. And so if you listen each and every day, uh, either to this program or to some other offering at Faith Radio, maybe you listen uh, live in a in a radio market, maybe you listen online at MyFaithRadio.com via streaming service, maybe you listen via the podcast or via the app at Faith Radio. Um any way that you listen, you're a part of what we call the Faith Radio family. And part of being in a family is the responsibility to, you know, participate. And so we love that you listen. We love that you share what we're doing. We want to hear from you this week how uh, Faith Radio has impacted your life positively, how we are helping you walk your faith out into the world um, in ways that honor Jesus. And we want to be able then during share to share those stories with others to encourage them to be a part of the Faith Radio Giving community. So donors out there, people who are already financially supporting this ministry, they actually love to hear like how what we're doing impacts the lives of people. And so maybe your part of SHARE is sharing a story with us this week at 877-933-2484 or via email, carmen at myfaithradio.com. Share your uh, share your story of the way that what you have heard here in this program or another program has touched your life and changed your walk and impacted you. Like the way that, uh, let's see, Susan just shared with me this morning, you know, hey, she was uh, standing in a Walmart line and she uh, saw that the person in front of her had a uh, a coffee pot in her, uh, you know, in her cart. And she said, you know what, because you told me that I can just lean in and I can have conversations with people and I can be generous. Um, she said, I just leaned over and whispered, I have that exact same coffee pot in my car. It's almost brand new. I was on my way to Goodwill with it. You don't have to buy one. You can just have it. Like, I love that. Okay, see, that's a great story. So, Susan, thank you for listening. Thank you for allowing God to talk to you and um, and use you out there in the world to be an agent of grace and an in this case, an ambassador of just his generous, lavish love. You can do that, too. We would love for you to share with us here, 877-933-2484. Share with us um, by visiting MyFaithRadio.com. If you can give now and give us a little bit of a head start, that'd be awesome. Just hit the donate button. We'll be right back. When parents split up, it can cause serious issues for children. And while there's no real way to fix the problems that divorce brings, you can certainly do some damage control. 
Hi, I'm Mark Gregston with Parenting Today's Teens. After a divorce, if your teen feels isolated or disconnected, make an effort to include her in as many things as possible. If you have the freedom to do so, take her to lunch or attend her games or school events. Make sure she knows your desire to remain involved in her life. Though divorce was never God's plan for marriage, it's a harsh reality in our fallen world. So if your teen is reeling from the after effects of a recent split, be very intentional about damage control. Your child may feel wounded or abandoned, so go the extra mile and draw near. Looking for more parenting wisdom? Go online to ParentingTodaysTeens.org or search for Parenting Today's Teens in your favorite app store. My name is Bond, James Bond. He's back! It's Dr. David Aikman. Thank you so much for being back with us today. Well, thank you, Carmen, for continuing to have me. I'm enjoying it. Now, who else would I talk with um, who could help me understand what just appears to me to be the absolute nuttiness of your political system? Well, uh, I'm hardly able to understand it all myself. (laughs) It's quite the most confusing situation in British politics that I can ever recall. And it's producing very interesting fissures, very interesting chasms between the different sides. The country is more divided than it's ever been politically, and certainly not getting less so at this point. So when you talk about the fissures, we're not just talking about chasms between um, parties. We are talking about, you know, real economic um, uncertainty. We're talking about political uncertainty. We're talking about relationships with uh, your national neighbors with whom you have been in, you know, really genuinely tight, uh, tight-knit tight fellowship through the EU for a number of years. So bring people up to speed. We have Boris Johnson. He is new enough to many people that they don't really feel like they quite know him yet. Um, and then we have, um, well, a, a, a real cast of characters. And don't miss the part about the Queen. Okay. Well... Boris Johnson uh, decided that he wanted to prorogue Parliament, which means simply suspend it, so that Parliament would not be able to sabotage his efforts to get Brexit out with or without a deal. And the Queen obviously had to agree to the suspension, which she did. But now there's a date debate going along on Tuesday in the Parliament a procedural debate whether the Speaker of the House is willing to allow a discussion or a debate on whether Parliament can take control of Brexit from the actual government, of the government of uh, Boris Johnson. So if the government loses, in other words, if Parliament takes over because it wants to established that Brexit can only go through with a deal, then Boris Johnson is set to call an imminent um, general election, probably in the middle of October. And if that happens, who knows what's going to take place? Because the parties are not only divided amongst themselves, but they're divided within themselves, both the Conservatives and Labour have deep fissures within them regarding relationships to Europe. 
Okay, so David, for those of us who, you know, we, sadly, we only really um, understand our own system of government, and we don't even necessarily understand that particularly well. And so when you talk about um, Boris Johnson um, being the quote-unquote government, that's kind of hard for people here to understand. When when you talk about him being in a position uh, with the Queen's blessing to suspend the equivalent of Congress, like we don't understand that either. And and then when you talk about the ability of an individual to call for a national election, like we don't have that either. And so um, just remind us again, the parliamentary system, and then also remind us what is the relationship between all of those elected people and the queen? Well, the relationship between the members of parliament and the queen is largely ceremonial. The queen basically has to accept the advice she's offered by any parliament in any government in power, whether it's conservative or labor. Um, and so the constitutional precedent is if somebody wants to suspend parliament and ask the queen to do it, she does it. And that's happened before. That's not unprecedented. But the, the difference with this situation is that a significant majority of members of parliament are actually against the whole Brexit project, even though a majority of the people of the UK, 52%, 17.4 million people, voted to get out of the EU back in 2016. Now, what the Remainers, or as they're disparagingly called, the Ramoners, want to do (laughs) is to delay getting out of Brexit from the original date of um, October 31st suggested by Boris Johnson. Uh, They want to delay it to make sure there's a satisfactory deal with the EU before Britain departs. Now, to do that, they have to pass a resolution in Parliament ordering a suspension of Article 50 which is the withdrawal agreement of the EU, for another two or three months. And that is going to produce real acrimony on all sides because the people who want to leave, those supporting Brexit who voted for it, basically want to get the whole thing over with. And they're really very frustrated by these delaying tactics. Well, and we would see that as, you know, fairly undemocratic if the people have voted for something and then their elected officials say, mm, well, we're not really sure that you know best. We think we know best. And then they, you know, start manipulating the rules in such a way that they get their way instead of the people getting there. Like we like here in America, like we get that. We understand that. <laughs> right. Well, I've always argued that the whole Brexit thing in many ways is a class war not between the upper classes and the lower classes in the traditional sense, or the upper classes and the working classes, but between the elites and the working classes, because the elites were all in favor of staying in the EU. That's where their bread and butter is. But uh, the working majority of England, especially up in the north of England, and especially, ironically, in Labour Party seats, 
wanted to leave the EU, and they are being frustrated enormously by the delays that have been taking place. Okay, so um, where you and I would talk about bread and butter, what would people in Hong Kong, what would the equivalent of bread and butter be in Hong Kong? Uh, Well, that's a very good question. Well, the equivalent of bread and butter in Hong Kong is an orderly civic society with civil rights and political rights and freedoms that Hong Kong has enjoyed even under the British. Okay, so that's going to be... Well, so, David, what I'm going to use is I'm going to use this as a segue to a break and then a tease to come back in. So uh, we are not going to talk about the bread and butter of Britain after the break. We are going to talk about, I don't know, the sweet and sour sauce of Hong Kong. We'll We'll be right back. We'll be right back. We believe in God the Father. We believe in Jesus Christ. We believe in the Holy Spirit. All right, so I'm continuing my conversation with Dr. David Aikman, and we are uh, we are pivoting from the bread and butter of Britain to um, the Cantonese cuisine influenced by British cuisine uh, of Hong Kong. Well, I That's wouldn't our... say influenced British group cuisine. I think international <laughs> cuisine is very powerful in Hong Kong, not just British at all. <laughs> All right, so it is an international I mean it really is, right? It is a it is a it is a place that is genuinely international and yet we have communist China very much seeking to sort of bring Hong Kong um uh, within the um within the Chinese understanding of things and that is just creating an ongoing conflict. So bring us up to date on what's happening in Hong Kong. Well, there have been continuing demonstrations in spite of the fact that last weekend Uh, The demonstrations were banned, but they took place nevertheless. And they're getting more violent now because the police are increasingly using their batons and their shields to drive people away from off the streets and to fire tear gas, grenades and rubber bullets to disperse protesters. And the protesters, or some of them, are responding with Molotov cocktails, and you've got fires breaking out, even fairly close to police stations. So it's becoming a very hazardous city to be in if you're in the wrong place at this point. And we're seeing news out of Hong Kong this weekend that as these pro-democracy demonstrators, uh, you know, continue to to gather, the region's Christian community has really begun to rise up. Um, do you have any uh, any insight into? into the inclusion of, uh, of these singing of hymns on the street as a part of what's going on there? Well, the singing of uh, Sing Hallelujah to the Lord, that wonderful charismatic chorus that was, I think, composed in the 1970s, has been part of the um, protest movement in Hong Kong from the very beginning. But it has recently resurfaced because some of the protesters yesterday argued that they were attending a religious protest, which is perfectly um, legal under Hong Kong law, and therefore to demonstrate that they were singing the song, plus the fact that 10% of Hong Kong people are Christians anyway, and they regard this whole crackdown as a very 
sinister attempt by the Communist Party to completely suppress civic freedoms in Hong Kong. Uh, David, again, um, any any glimmer of hope for some sort of diplomatic, peaceable solution here? I don't think there's any hope for a diplomatic solution because the only country that has any say at all is Great Britain, which signed the um, Sino-British agreement to hand Hong Kong back in in 1984, leading to the hand over itself in 1997. But every time the British diplomats have tried to sneak in the door and say, we don't think you should be as rough on Hong Kong as you are being, they've been actually punched in the nose by the Chinese who say, Hong Kong is an internal Chinese affair, so stay out if you don't mind. Mm. All right, you and I are going to continue to um, to pray, uh, and we're going to continue to watch, and we're going to t- continue to support Christians who, with whom we are in fellowship there. Uh, David Aikman, thank you again, as always, so much for joining us today, helping us understand what's happening on the international scene from a Christian worldview. We really appreciate it. Thank you very much, Carmen, for having me. We'll see you next week, I hope. We'll, we'll see you next week, God willing. All right, friends, we'll be right back. Okay, so sometimes, um, you know, when I am on a roll, I am not always thinking about every nuance and aspect of a conversation. And so um, Barry, who is listening in Kansas City, raised a really important and good point about my uh, commentary on natural disasters being unnatural and uh, and our need to intervene um, and prepare ourselves. Um, because he's talking from a place of not only personal grief, but recognizing that sometimes it's very, very difficult for all of us to understand the cascading effects of sin and how far we live from Eden. And so we need to be reminded that in the midst of catastrophe, in the midst of someone's house uh, having come down all around them or the waters rising to the point of the neck, right, that is not the time. Uh, my friends, to point out um, the the reality that these are the effects of sin and fallenness. Um, but for those of us who are not in direct proximity to the people in personal crisis right now, right, we are in a position to have conversations in the culture about uh, the way God created it to be, and why it is no longer that way, all right? So let us be mindful that in proximity to people in immediate trauma and grief, let us not offer platitudes. Let us offer a Christ. Be be Christ uh, present in those situations. Actually enflesh the gospel. Walk in, hold a hand, offer, offer a shoulder, um, grieve with those who grieve in the midst of what they are seeking to uh, walk through today, which is often the valley of the shadow of death. All right, friends, have a great day and God bless. Thanks for listening to this podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBurge from Faith Radio. If you haven't, you can subscribe to automatically receive the podcast through iTunes or the Google Play Music app. That way you never miss an episode. It's also available anytime at MyFaithRadio.com.